My grandma used to tell me, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I used to live with my grandparents during the weeks in the summer, and we lived just down the hall from them when I was in graduate school. I'd come around and I would tell her about the things that I was learning in life, and she would tell me about the people she knew. She, she loved to tell about all the people she knew and the good relationships she had, and she often summarized those conversations for me, or at least tried to drive her point home by saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You don't have to raise your hands. How many of you have said something like that to your, your kids, your grandkids? Do so you say that piece of wisdom? No, most of you don't, huh? It's a good aphorism. Now you can add it to your repertoire, huh? What do you think about it? Is it, is it true? Is it good? I used to listen to it, and I would think, Grandma, I think I know what you're, I think I know what you're saying. She wasn't trying to say what the authors of the study that we are looking at, Waldinger and Schultz, say, that, that relationships are necessary to sustain good life. She was actually trying to tell me relationships are what are going to get you ahead in in your career and really further your success for you. And I used to think about that and I think to myself, Grandma, I've had two professional jobs already in life. I was a mason and I helped build homes and I got let go from both of them Even though I had good relationships with my boss, I got let go because I just wasn't valuable enough to the company. Grandma, I I don't think it's just who you know. I think it's also a little bit what you know. You've got to be able to, to perform. You've got to be able to do the task. You need to know the work. And And so I taught myself, whether it's true or not, I used to say, it's both what you know and who you know. And that's what the authors of our study this summer, The Good Life, that's what they say. They make this point. They say to us this, a good life, a good life requires growth and change. This change is not an automatic process that occurs as we age. What we experience, what we endure, and what we do all affect the trajectory of growth. Relationships are a central player in this growth process. What's that saying? You see they say here, what we do, right? What we do, so what we know, what we can do, that affects the trajectory of growth. But part of doing well is also what? The relationships that we have. So it's a good life requires, right? A good life requires growth. Now that's a, a basic fact that we need to wrestle with. They're onto something here. All the ancient religions, all the ancient philosophies, and modern biology tell us that life comes in stages. You cannot be the same person at 60 that you were at 20. If you are still the same person in your thinking and your behavior at 60 as you were at 20, you will not have a good life. If you're a teenager out there right now, it's almost impossible almost impossible for you to begin to imagine how much you'll have to change your thinking and your behavior by the time you get to be 60. But there's a reason why your parents and your grandparents are the way they are. They've had to change their thinking to have a good life. 
All of the ancient religions and the philosophies say this. All of modern biology says this. Aristotle said that life had three stages. Hypocrisy. Hippocrates said life had seven stages. Shakespeare wrote about the seven ages of life. Islam has seven stages. Buddhism has ten stages. Hinduism has four stages. Biology basically says that there is three stages. Psychology has eight stages Everybody agrees that there are stages in life. Even the Bible does. Even the Bible does. It doesn't explicitly teach it. It just assumes it. For example, Paul wrote, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. You hear that? Three stages. Infants, children, and adults. You have to change. So here's what we have to work through today. A little bit. First, just this reality that there are stages in life, and we have to think and behave differently in those stages. For many of us, moving on from the stage we were in into the next stage is very hard, and it's part of the reason why there's so much dysfunction in life. But the second thing is that relationships are, the, are a central factor to growing in these stages. That does not mean to downplay the resources you have or, or what you can do, your skills. But relationships are a central driver to move through those stages. So let's start with the truth that there just are stages in life. All of this is building on their central thesis that positive relationships are essential to human well-being. What do those stages look like? Well, this is the standard uh, psychology breakdown of the different stages in life. Four stages before you get to your adulty-ish kind of years the one transition stage of adolescence. That's where we'll start. We're going to skip the childhood stages because we're not dealing with child's psychology or child relationships at the moment. Adolescence. The main question, of course, of adolescent years, your teenage years, 12 to 19 or so, is who am I? Right? Who am I in life? That's the big question. And the central relationships in those years, now here's what they point out, right? The central relationships, and we all know this, they shift from being your parents to your peers. Parents to peers. This has to happen. During those years, you will stop caring so much about what your parents think. They will become boring adults to you, and you will care what your peers think. That's the chief relationship switch. Now, the thing is, is that does not stop there. Then in your young adult years, approximately 20 to 40 or so, there the chief task is saying, does who I am work in life? Is who I am a workable person? You have to test your identity. And in that time period, your chief relationship is yourself. It's really yourself. Uh, the, the major danger of your 20 to 40 years is that people trade independence and let it become isolation. If you don't intentionally work during those years, 20 to 40, to build intimacy, independence easily becomes isolation. And that's the dangerous spot. In 40 to 60, that's your middle age years, give or take a little bit. 40 to 60, uh, your chief question in life is, is this all there is? 
Can I do something else in life? And they hear the, the authors of the study very much point out for us that the people who live good lives between 40 and 60 can start to answer the question, stop asking the question, what am I doing for myself? Who am I becoming? And start saying, what am I doing for the world? What am I doing for others? So you have to take the relationship, the chief relationship in 40 to 60 has to be from self to society as a whole. You have to switch your relationship from yourself to your society as a whole. The last years of your lives, the adult years, the senior years, 60 on up, it's easy to stay stuck in those years. If you get stuck, that turns into despair. The chief question is, have I done well? Is this what there is? Have I done a good job at my life? And the chief relationship to work out there is with close family and friends. Can you leave what you have with them or is it all going to get lost? So these are the four major stages of our more adulthood years. And you can tell what the authors are pointing out that by looking at hundreds and thousands of case studies, it's not just biology that drives these stages of our lives. It's relationships. It's relationships. It's the relationship that we have switching from parents to peers. It's the relationship that we have with ourselves to the close people next to us. It's the relationship that we have from ourself to society as a whole. Will we get out of ourselves? And lastly, then, it's that relationship to the close family and friends and dear loved ones that we have. It's those relationships that drive us through the stages. And I was, I was reminded of that just uh, this last week. As I, I mentioned, you know, and so I, not only did I spend time with a close friend that helped me switch through the stages, I had a conversation with a, a gentleman, and we were talking about his work experience and his career over the years. This is something that right, anybody who's gone through careers knows. He said, I got my first job on the basis of my application and, and my skills. That's basically how I got my second jo first job. All the other jobs in my life I got because somebody came to me and they said, hey, we think you should do this job. Go do that job and we'll help you get it. And so just fill out a silly little application and we'll put you in for it and we'll make you sure you're a shoe through. And that's, that's how he got his degrees. And he's on his like 10th job in his life, but they've all come because somebody is pushing him along through the careers. What is he showing us? It's not just what you know, right? It is also those relationships that drive you through the stages in your life. And that's why I'm really grateful to many of the people who are closest to me, including my, my wife, who constantly remind me, you know, you're very focused on getting things done, accomplishing something in life. And that's good, because we all kind of get stuck but we also, you also need to remember the people right here. It's those people, not just who matter, but it's those people who you can impact the most, right? It's those people who will drag you through these stages. Friends, that's, that's something that you and I need to take to heart too. The Bible shows us pretty well that it is not just 
what you and I know as Christians that makes an impact on the stages of our spiritual lives, but it's also who we've got around us, right? It's, it's who we've got right next to us. The Apostle John wrote this. He said, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven. I'm writing to you, fathers. I'm writing to you, young men. Do you see the stages that he lays out? It's a little bit opposite, but that's because of Hebrew literature. Hebrew literature likes to put the important thing in the middle. Uh, but he says, children, fathers, young men. Three stages in our spiritual lives. Now here's the real key thing that John points out to us. Do you see how he points out that each part of our Christian development is relational? You becoming a growing Christian, a productive Christian, has to do with the relationships. He doesn't say, for example, dear children, right, I'm writing to you because you know the Bible so well. He expects you to know the Bible. You better know the Bible. But what drives your growth as a children, as a child? The forgiving of your sins. What holds most people back as they get into their older years? And I'm not talking... 80s years. I'm talking about their 30s, 40s years. All the dumb things they did as a teenager. Isn't it? What is John saying? John is saying you will never grow up until you can appreciate, can you can get forgiven for all the foolish, immature, wild, bad choices you made as a child. And he's not saying as a child here because you made only those choices when you were a teenager. He's saying what will hold you back is all the immature choices you made when you were a child in the faith. When you started to finally realize that you were, I don't know, messing around too much and you shouldn't have been horsing around with all those women or all those men in your life and you realized, gosh, I need to get forgiven for this stuff. Or when you finally started to grow up and realize your money is not just something for you to make your life better, but your money is the gift from God that he has given you to cherish and use for the good of others. Do you see what John is pointing out to you? He's saying, you will be stuck as a child if you never can appreciate forgiveness. And then he goes on, and I'm going to skip to the last one because that's the order we're used to. He says, writing to young men because you have overcome the evil one. Again, do you see what he says? The next stage in life, young men, and he includes young women, women here. But the next stage in life, will you learn to fight with the world outside you? Right? It's one thing to, to get past all of the things that are inside you, the guilt and the shame because of your mistakes that wear you down. But the next thing is you have to get outside yourself. Will you become that person who fights with the world outside you because evil is on the attack? And if you just stop, it'll win. Again, what is he pointing out? It's relational. And then the last thing he points out, he says, writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. What's the worst thing in life? The worst thing in life is to not be known by anyone. The greatest success that you can have as you grow in your spiritual life is to be known so well by God that when he 
sees you at the end of your days. That he looks right at you and he says, oh yeah, I know everything about you. I know every stage of your life. Your whole life was a book to me. Your successes and your failures, your family and your friends, that time that you forgave the guy who messed you up so bad that you thought you would never grow up. I know everything about you. And now you can be a father in the faith. You are fully known to me and I can't wait to have you with me. Right? Do you see what he's saying? It is ultimately that relationship of being a, that relationship that you have with God that will drive you into fatherhood in the faith. Friends, these are the stages that, that God puts out for us. And, and he tells us there is a huge development that takes place along our growth in the faith. And we will get stuck. We will get stuck if we don't let those relationships drive us along. Now, we could go through what John has said here a whole lot more, but I think we get the basic point. The Bible also reveals to us something that you won't get anywhere else. It's the same relationships that should push us through the growth that often get us stuck, isn't it? What does John say? He says, your sins have been forgiven. Why do you get stuck as an immature child of the faith? It's because person after person sins against you. It's because somebody lied about you. It's because somebody cheated you. It's because somebody hurt you. Why do you get stuck as a young person, a young man, a young woman, over trying to overcome the evil one? It's because the world opposes you. And because as much as you try to be an honest employer and pay people a fair wage, the whole system pushes back against you. It's because as much as you try to do good and to bring the gospel into somebody's life who's just, it's, it's all falling apart, they're the deceit of their life just overwhelms any possibility of them hearing the good news. Friends, the one thing the Bible tells us is not only that relationships are essential, are central, excuse me, to growth through the changes of our life, but the Bible also tells us that it's those very same relationships that will hurt us. It's those same relationships that harm us. It's those same relationships that hold us back. And so it puts that question before us, is it possible to have a relationship in the center of our lives that will actually sustain us? That's why I showed the picture to the kids this morning. You know, you and I, we all know there's more than enough resources in our world to build a house that has many walls and many sides, right? You can build your four-sided, heck, you can build a 50-sided house. I'll just stick to four right here because it's fast and easy. That holds itself up. Now, imagine that this house is your life, right? You can build a house where one side is your relationships, and you can build a house where another side is your skills and your abilities. You can build a house where another side is your friendships. And you can build a house where another side is all the resources you have in life. And your life will keep growing and keep developing. And that's a fine thing. That's a good thing. And it's, it seems like it's a strong house because you've got four walls. Or you've got 50 walls if you build a really complex house. 
Right? You've got all of those things that are holding your life up. But the Bible also says, you know, the other way to just build a house is to put a pole up in the center and let it hold up your whole life. And then you can add whatever other walls, you can add whatever other support you want. And they're just additions. They're not central. And so if your life falls apart, you won't fall apart. Do you see what it's saying? The apostle, John, uh, the apostle to the Hebrews wrote in one place, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Yesterday and today and forever. He's telling us that yes, relationships are central. But Jesus ought to be the center. And if you put him as the center, it doesn't matter what happens to the wall of your house that is your family, because when your family wall crumbles, your house stays up. And it doesn't matter what happens to the wall of your house when your skills start to fall apart in life and you become irrelevant because of globalization and deindustrialization and the rise of technology, right? Because the wall of your house, the center pole of your house is still standing up. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when all your friends move away because your jobs are everywhere else. Because the pole of your house is still standing up. There is only one place in our lives, in the whole world, where you and I can find a structure that will sustain us all our days. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the one guy that in young adulthood he was there. In middle adulthood, he will still be there. And in old age, he will support you through it all. Is he the center of your house? You know, friends, there has been nothing better for me in life to see those people who sustain their house with him at the center. And he can be the same for you. Yes, our relationships are central. They are central to the growth of our lives. But there's only one relationship that can stay at the center all of our days. And he will not only be here now, he will be there into eternity to hold you up through it all. Let's pray for that. Lord Jesus, it is really hard to deal with the reality that our relationships that are supposed to sustain us and drag us along are also the same things that often hold us down and destroy us in life. You know, that boss who was supposed to give us advancement becomes the guy who's fighting against us. Our family that was supposed to love and support us even into our old age becomes the family that is just embroiled in a mess and, and going to eat us up alive. There is only one relationship that we can dare put at the center of our lives to sustain us through all our days, and that's you. The one who is the same yesterday and today and forever. The one who gave up your life on the cross so that we would always have life. We pray that we would live in your resurrection life now and forever, and that you would sustain us through these days. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.